everything just breaks loose and she finds out my dirty secret. I'm not the husband she thought I was going to be. She realizes she's married an addict. Jason Biddle tried to control his addiction to drugs and alcohol and realized he just couldn't. He needed help. And I looked in the mirror and I'm like, God, if you're real, like, I need your help because I can't do this anymore. Shame overwhelms me Too much to bear My wounds run deep now But I know you're there A righteous man is what I know You want me to be The mirror image of myself Is selfish it seems That's new music you're listening to from Jason Biddle who we're going to learn about on this episode. He's a construction contractor who started writing music when he was living in a house for recovering addicts. You are about to hear part one of a riveting story on this episode of GPS, God, People, Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, celebrating 70 years of proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. I'm Jim Kirkland. And I'm Phil Fleischman. After Jason shares more about his battle with alcohol and drug use, you'll hear a word from Billy Graham about addiction and hope. There's nothing new about drug and alcohol abuse. You become a slave to sin. Is there a way out of that? Yes, the way out of sin is actually through a person, and his name is Jesus. You'll hear Billy Graham explain more about that a little later in the episode. Or you can learn more right now at findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. We also want to remind you about our 24-hour prayer line. The number is 888-388-2683. Again, that's 888-388-2683. GPS. God. People. Stories. So I grew up in a little town called Winchester, Virginia, very northern panhandle of Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley. When he was four, Jason's parents got divorced. So I kind of grew up having two moms and two dads. My stepfather uh, was really big into sports. He was a coach, so he got me into sports. He just kind of became the real father figure. Every Sunday, Jason's family took him to church, but... As he got older, he lost all interest in it. It was church on Sundays and then grandma's house after church almost every Sunday up until I was probably 15 or 16 years old. And then once I got my license, it was like, man, I needed my independence. So I intentionally try to stay at friends' houses on weekends or whatever so that I didn't have to go to church on Sunday. And I just started to fall away from it. It was sports and music that got Jason's attention, and he had a lot of talent in both of those realms. He sang in concert choir in high school, and he won a big competition called the Gong Show for a duet he sang with a classmate. And that's when the jocks stopped making fun of Jason for choosing choir along with sports. I think when the people, even my friends, came to the Gong Show, they, I think they were like, man, he actually can sing. <laughs> so, Because nobody came to the other events, so... But that gong show, there was a lot of people there my senior year, so it was neat to, to be able to win that. Even though he loved to sing, when Jason pictured his future, he was always on a baseball field. School wasn't my jam at all. The only reason I went to college was to play baseball because I, I assumed I had this, you know, this ego and this pride knowing that I was just going to get picked up. Professional baseball was my, that's what I was going to do for a living. 
And that wasn't an unrealistic goal. The Cincinnati Reds invited Jason to try out during their spring training, and he was ready to show up and show off. But instead, he blew out his elbow during tryouts. It was bad. He needed surgery. And just like that, Jason's dreams were crushed. The rug got pulled right out from under me. Jason wasn't interested in college anymore. He dropped out and he started working in construction. He chose construction because he had spent many summers helping his stepdad with remodeling projects. And he had learned a lot about roofing and siding, gutters, you name it. So when a big hailstorm came through his hometown in Virginia, Jason was ready to get to work. And he did well, very well. I'm making ridiculous amounts of money. I still have friends that are in college. You know, I still have friends that are even my younger friends that were still, you know, in high school as seniors. And here I am, you know, getting ready to buy a house at 20, 21 years old. And, you know, and then that's where I think money started. I started really liking money. It started to become an idol for me. With a brand new truck, a condo in town, and plenty of money for partying, Jason was pretty popular at the bar. He was always ready to buy the next round. I flashed it. I flaunted it. And it made me feel good because people liked me. After a couple of years working in his native Virginia, one of Jason's friends told him about an opportunity in Minnesota. There had been a big hailstorm there. And Jason knew what a big hailstorm meant to him. Money. I didn't even think twice. I just packed my stuff, said, Mom, I'm out. (laughs) You know, I mean, I wasn't. I just said goodbye to the family and goodbye to everything in Virginia. And I was gone. And I took the drive up here and we became fairly successful immediately again, you know, just like we were doing there in Virginia. As Jason got used to life in Minnesota, he started spending a lot of time at the gym. He wanted to bulk up. And to help him do that faster, he started using steroids. I wanted people to look at me. I wanted people to be like, oh my gosh, look how big that guy is. And again, just more of my ego, just wanting to, wanting to be fed. He got the attention he was seeking, but there was a price. The steroids wreaked havoc on Jason's body. My joints and everything started aching real bad. It was literally, I, there, was, there was times where I couldn't even walk up the stairs to the gym to go work out. And then a guy introduced me to this stuff called Nubane. And he's like, hey, man, you know, you can take a shot of this. You know, you put it in your leg, whatever you do, don't hit a vein. And he's like, but, uh, but it's an opiate. And I hadn't, hadn't had any problems with opiates uh, at that time. He gave it to me, and it was one of the best highs I ever had. As soon as I took it, I'm like, man, this is, this is good. And I was able to still work out on it. I was able to, to do whatever. And he, he just told me, he said, never hit a vein or you'll get hooked on this stuff. Well, one day Jason did hit a vein. He fell to the floor as the high took over, and he knew he had to feel it again. And so next thing you know, I'm hooked on Nubain. I'm not even working out anymore. I'm just shooting this stuff up. The opiates made Jason extremely tired. So to give him the energy he needed, he started using cocaine just to function at work. Next thing you know, I am strung out on cocaine and opiates at the same time. And then when I don't have those things, I'm drinking. So I had like this constant cocktail of chemicals going on me for, you know, a year and a half, two years. Even though Jason had a full-blown addiction, he was still able to function, running a successful business and keeping his drug use a secret. He believed he was in control and that he could quit anytime he wanted to. The business partner that I had at the time was, he was fairly atheist. I, I mean, he, he just didn't believe in God. And I think a lot of that kind of rubbed off on me. Like, I'm my own person. I'm a self-made man. 
I don't have anybody, you know, I, I make my own destiny. And that was just kind of my, my philosophy is, you know, life is going to be as good as I want to make it. There's nothing else in control of that other than me. While his drug use slowly escalated, Jason met Brittany, the woman who would soon become his wife. But Brittany didn't know she was marrying an addict. We get married in 2006, so I'm you know, 26 years old now. And within six months, everything just breaks loose and she finds out my dirty secret. And I'm not the husband she thought I was going to be. And, you know, she finds out that I'm shooting these things up, that I'm, she found like cocaine, she found, you know, booze bottles that I'm hiding. And she realizes she's married an addict and she left me. When Brittany had been gone for about a week, Jason remembers waking up in the bathroom in a pool of vomit with dried blood on the back of his head. And I looked in the mirror and I'm like, God, if you're real, like, I need your help because I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. And it was that exact second. My wife texted me and she said, Jason, I still love you. And I can get you into rehab tomorrow. Will you go? And I just broke down crying. And I was just like, my goodness, you know, like, things are going to be okay. Jason went to rehab at age 26, determined to change. But he quickly turned back to his I'm in control attitude. He self-diagnosed himself as clean and sober, and he cut his time in rehab short. At first, it worked, but willpower could only get him so far. One night, he convinced himself and his wife that he could have one glass of wine at dinner. And I remember having that one glass of wine, and she went to the restroom and had drank that wine pretty fast. And it gave me a little bit of a buzz, a little bit of euphoria started to kick in. And while she was in the restroom, I walked to the bar and ordered, you know, a double, triple shot of whatever it was, pounded it really fast. Now I had a nice buzz going. And that was the start of a downward spiral. What we don't realize as addicts that if we let that foothold back in, just that little bit of a foothold, then it's going to take off and go right back to where you were, if not worse. It always ends up that way. Three years into his marriage, Jason was drinking heavily and partying hard. There were nights he didn't even bother to come home. One day, he went out on a boat with his friends and a group of women they had met the night before. Jason ended up cheating on Brittany. She was heartbroken, and she told Jason she couldn't take any more. Around the same time, Jason's cousin told him about an investment opportunity in San Diego. Desperate for a fresh start, Jason convinced Brittany to move there with him. He promised he would change. I was trying to take her hostage. Like, don't leave me. I'll do, what if we go do this? This is how I'll make it up to you. They moved to San Diego and Jason's addiction moved along with him. He worked hard to keep it under control, but the pressures of life soon broke that control. Brittany was pregnant and Jason was working up to 80 hours a week getting his new business established. Whenever no one was watching, he was drinking heavily. Then, in 2010, he went to the doctor for a physical. Some abnormal blood work led to an ultrasound, and that's when doctors discovered a tumor the size of a grapefruit on Jason's liver. After the tumor was surgically removed, the doctor noticed Jason shaking and showing other signs of alcohol withdrawal. The doctor came to me and he's like, hey, what's going on here? Have you been drinking a lot? And my wife wasn't there, and I said, yeah, but between you and I, he's like, how much do you drink? I'm like, well, I drink at least a a half of a fifth of vodka a day. And he's just like, well, he's like, you can't drink anymore. You know that, right? He's like, because we just found that your liver 
is full of one of the most dangerous cancers you could have ever had. He's like, it was encapsulated in the tumor. He's like, so the tumor technically saved your life, but it could have been really bad. So you just can count on never drinking again because you're borderline serratic. No more drinking. Doctor's orders. But here is a glimpse into the sick power of addiction. Within three or four days of leaving the hospital, Jason was sneaking away to buy booze. The prescription painkillers he took after surgery had triggered his craving for something more. Soon he was mixing up cocktails of pills and alcohol. Brittany didn't know about any of that when she left their 10-month-old son in her husband's care one day. So at 10 o'clock in the morning, um, I put him down for his first nap. And I must have taken a, you know, I remember pulling off some vodka bottle and then I took a pill. And then I wake up at eight o'clock at night with my wife beating my face in with her fist because she's just like, what did you do? What have you done? And I had let my son, I had passed out all day from 10 o'clock in the morning when I put him down till eight o'clock at night when she got home. And here he had, you know, used the bathroom all over himself. He was stuck in his crib. Um, he was, he had, he was crying. He had, it was just, it was terrible. And I said, all right, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She, I'm like, I'm going to an AA meeting right now. And I literally got on my phone. I found the closest AA meeting and I went straight there and I told everybody what happened. And, um, and then I got a sponsor literally that night and then he started working steps with me again and we started, um, you know, my wife eventually forgave me and I, I maintained some pretty good sobriety over a couple, three years. One of the best things about Jason and Brittany's time in the suburbs of San Diego was the friendship they developed with another family. It started when Jason found out one of his close childhood friends was living in the same town in California. They'd grown up down the road from each other in Virginia, and now she and her husband were committed Christians. We played G.I. Joe and Barbie as eight-year-olds. So she was literally 10, 10 houses down from growing up. So she Facebooked me um, while going through all this cancer stuff you know, with, with the liver tumor. And she Facebooked me and she's like, oh my gosh, you live in Carlsbad. She's like, I live in Carlsbad. I'm like, holy cow, like that's crazy. So we ended up meeting up with her and her husband and her children. And we immediately became good friends and they brought us to their church and we, we came to Christ through them. Um, so it was crazy how God started both of us out on the East Coast and then he puts both of us in the West Coast and she's the one, my neighbor, my childhood neighbor friend, is the one that brings us to Christ in California. Jason said his AA meetings had opened up his eyes to the concept of a higher power. Going to church with his childhood friend showed him exactly who that higher power is. I remember accepting Christ uh, one day at church when the, when the pastor said, if you're ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I remember raising my hand while we were in prayer. And then I remember talking to the pastor afterward and and then, uh, you know, we were doing, you know, small, small group. And within a year, I was getting baptized there. And it went from a, a hearing about God to having a relationship with him. Now, we would love to end the story on that happy note. But there's a lot more to tell. Jason's darkest moments are still ahead. That whole surrender portion of my life just wasn't taking hold. The, the whole surrendering everything to him wasn't taking hold. And it didn't until later because there was still things that was like, I'll give God this, but I'm gonna hold on to this because I'm pretty sure I can do this on my own.
It took some seriously frightening experiences for Jason Biddle to grasp the importance of trusting God every day with everything. Are you trusting God every day with everything? Would you like to learn more about what that means to trust Him? We're here for you. We've got information at our website, findpeacewithgod.net. And if you'd rather, you can even choose to chat with one of our 24-7 online volunteers. Again, that website is findpeacewithgod.net. In just a minute, you're going to hear a preview of next week's episode, part two of Jason Biddle's story. We're going to warn you that some of it is really difficult to hear. But God seems to do some of his most amazing work in desperate times. You're listening to GPS, God, People, Stories, a podcast production of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. There's nothing new about drug and alcohol abuse. The history of taking drugs for non-medical purposes goes back thousands of years. Billy Graham. Illegal drugs which are known to produce dependency are in the end destructive to the individual, to marriages, to families. Drug abuse is an undisciplined flight from reality, not to something good, but to something evil. An expert said people are not addicted to drugs, they're addicted to escapism. And that's a spiritual problem. You become a slave to sin. Is there a way out of that? The Bible says in Romans 12, if we surrender to Christ, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Yes, even if your minds have been corrupted by drugs, prescription drugs or illegal drugs, they can be renewed. There's a touch of God upon your mind that can happen when you surrender totally and completely to Christ. Christ can free you. The truth can make you free. And the truth is that God loves you. Christ died for you. He shed his blood for you on the cross. He rose again. He's alive tonight, ready to come into your heart and change you and transform you and take charge of your life. Would you like to know more about how that can happen in your life? Go to this website, findpeacewithgod.net. On our episode of GPS, Jason Biddle has told the story of battling addiction and eventually discovering Jesus, all after an old friend invited him to church. There's a lot more to this story, which you'll hear in next week's episode. Here's a listen. I now have a family. I'm a baseball coach for my kid. Um, You know, I've got a seven-year-old. I've got a four-year-old daughter now, and I'm leading a small group Bible study every week here at my home. And, you know, I'm just this fake, just this fraud. During the night when my wife's sleeping, I'll go down and use. And then here, I'm back to shooting up again. I'm back to snorting cocaine. I'm doing all these drugs, like, like tenfold what it was before I fell in 2007. Jason hit rock bottom when he suffered a drug-induced seizure while he was alone with his two young children. The neighbor came over and she said, this is bad. You gotta call, we got to call 911 now. So apparently I had foam coming out of my mouth. Um, and my pulse was super low. I was borderline dead. I was almost done. We'll pick up Jason's story in part two next week, and we promise you, you will not want to miss the rest of his story. Until then, here's one last reminder about two different ways you can reach out to us. There is our website. It's findpeacewithgod.net, where you can chat online with one of our trained chat coaches. 
And if you'd rather talk with someone, try our 24-hour prayer line. That number is 888-388-2683. Someone is ready to listen and pray with you right now. The number again is 888-388-2683. I'm Phil Fleischman. And I'm Jim Kirkland. Thank you for joining us for this episode. And be sure to join us for the next episode of GPS, God People Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Always good news. Yeah.